first, I guess, let's just ask, what, what is your, I guess, cultural background and wh where are you from and how did it change? What was your guys' movement from to where or whatnot? Right. So like I, I grew up being like super confused, man, because I was brought like basically born in Australia and uh, have a European background. So it was like, OK, who the hell am I? Am I? Uh, and my parents are multi immigrants from immigrants from Europe, from Malta. And, you know, I've got dark skin and like olive skin, Mediterranean kind of look. I kind of look like a mix of Lebanese, Greek, maybe Italian, whatever. And then I was born in Australia and, and I had a mix of Australian friends and European friends. And I was really confused. I was like, who the hell am I? And I was trying to kind of like blend or uh, maybe separate these two different identities of like, am I, am I European or am I Australian? What does that even mean? Why do I look different, but sound Australian? Um, what identity? Can I ask you, when, when, did your, when did your parents immigrate? emigrate from malta yeah my dad was like 18 years old um when he oh, came wow, that's early that's yeah really early. Okay. when he came when he came to australia uh so he was he was young enough to kind of assimilate but not young enough that he didn't remember his culture you know not young young enough where he didn't remember his culture or his language or the life that he left behind and the family left behind um to be fair my mom was actually born in australia but she was the daughter of Maltese immigrants. So both sides of my family are Maltese. My dad actually married my mom because she's Maltese and he, she could understand him speaking his native language. And so she could understand Maltese. Uh, so she could to, probably understand his perspective on the world a little bit better than someone that wasn't Maltese. Like she, she knew his, she knew of, and probably not only accepted, but embraced his culture because it was hers. Even though she was born uh, in, you know, Australia, her parents were immigrants. So she was exposed to that. So um, do you think that's one reason uh, they gravitated towards each other? Yeah, hundred percent. That was definitely the reason for my dad. Cause he's like, here's someone that understands me. I can speak my own language and um, they, he, they, they get Maltese culture. They get um, what it means to be Maltese and what what I'm doing here as an immigrant, because, you know, if you're an economic immigrant, you're in that country really be primarily because you want to make some money. Um, but to be fair, I, I think that my mom like really maybe expected she she sort of was felt like she was expected to be uh, maybe more Maltese or understand. But she probably was in a similar situation where she was. Um, you know, brought up as Maltese, but kind of Australian, you know, and th this, this, this inner conflict of who am I, and maybe not really feeling a part of Australian culture, even though they were born in Australia, even though my mom was born in Australia. And there was a lot of racism back then too, and discrimination between Europeans, especially in the, like around the sixties and seventies, in even in the eighties. So you know, that's, that's another thing as well. It's like, you know, you, you, if, if you don't feel like you belong in the country, uh, you know, you don't feel like you belong there. You, you feel alienated by your own country and you're alienated by your own, um, by your own society. And you feel, you don't feel like you're accepted and, and you blend and you, you know, you're one of them. So yeah, that's the other part that was hard as well was that my dad, like my dad basically ingrained on us or tried to ingrain on us that to be a good 
person, you should establish the European culture and reject the Australian culture, right? And that was something that didn't really sit right with me. I couldn't embrace that. I couldn't accept that. Um, So I think that's a, a big part of the issue is, is what kind of mentoring you're getting, like who's your influence and who's your role model, like, and who's your role model and who do you want to adopt? And like, let me ask you, like, was your upbringing somewhat similar in the sense of, you know, you having exposure to different role models and not really being sure who to be aligned with? Yeah, sure. That would be great. But just for clarification, so your mother did speak Maltese fluently. She actually didn't speak Maltese, but she understood. Oh. She she basically never spoke Maltese. She always used to respond in English, but okay. she could understand Maltese perfectly, right? So okay, so at least at least she could understand it. That's that's important because I, I that will kind of that's I think a topic that we need to talk about. So for me, um, your question was, um, what was my experience like? And yeah, what was your experience um, like in the sense of, you know, like your background and, and your experience of being American, Latino, Italian, European, etc. So, yeah, you know, it sounds like a, similar to your dad, like the European way, the Maltese way, we're right. This new weird construct we call Australia, or in my case, the United States of America, uh, is not real right it's not good uh where we come from is good where we come from is you know is the right so basically um you know i think people feel this way all the time so i'm puerto rican right so my mother came early just like your dad i think she arrived in uh the great state of the frosty north alaska um when she was 18 i think or 19 which is crazy um, but but her sister, the oldest one, was there, I think, at 25. So it didn't seem. But anyways, Puerto Ricans are very proud of who they are, right? They have a long history that's been written into their minds through stories and their upbringing, right? Um, you know, we can get into this later, but Puerto Rico did undergo a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma to the people that still, I think, circulates their their veins and bloodstream today, Um you know, even though it's not fully conscious, you know, that 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 island was raped and ravaged and uh, the people are super intense because this this trauma it's like Dr. Mate was talking about this trauma uh, stays with you for long periods of time and generations. But for me, you know, I had my uncles. Um, but here's the problem with, I think, my particular situation and maybe yours or other people, definitely other people's is that we have this identity that we are Puerto Rican, we have music, we have food, we have culture, we have religion, we have a family structure that, you know, that is superior to the American way, which I, in many ways, I do agree, but, well, you know, Americanism's permeating, permeating everything. But where, where I think the confusion really started to to affect me, like I became very confused is the fact that I could not speak Spanish, you know, Um, I could not understand, you know, and the majority of my family learned how to speak English, but they weren't articulate, they couldn't, um, you know, they were limited in the things they could say, they probably couldn't get really deep with me about my my struggles about my pain, right, they didn't know how to address it, um, because they couldn't articulate it unless it was in Spanish. 
but I didn't speak Spanish. So I, I believe this is a part of, well, my own identity crisis is that I loved Puerto Rico. I loved what my family did. I loved our parties. They were great. The food was fantastic. But then there's a lot of cousins and my sister, right? And um, most of my cousins' first language was Spanish. And they came early enough that they spoke English fluently. So they were bilingual. And I was not. My sister and I were not. My sister was closer to it than I was. Um, but I was not. I, I could understand a lot of stuff. I think, you know, through body language, some vocabulary I picked up. But this created a division immediately with separation between my, my family unit and myself. I, I felt like I wasn't one of them. Because, man, at family parties, they're not going to be like, oh, Johnny, Joneto, no habla español. Let's all speak English at the party. No, 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 no. They were having a good time. They were letting loose and they were just speaking their language. And so I was always on the outside and asking for translation and not getting all of it. But anyway, so I feel like that was the beginning of my identity crisis. Is like, That was like one of the big things was language. Did you ever experience, I mean, your dad spoke, was he speaking English when you, like pretty fluently when you came up? Yeah, so that's, I think that's a great point. Language is a huge devising factor. Um, I remember my dad speaking to us in Maltese and, you know, at that point I had already been engaged in lots of conflicts with my father. So I just, when my dad spoke to me in Maltese, I just ignored it. So I never learned Maltese at all. And my mom never spoke to us in Maltese. So I never learned Maltese and it didn't really bother me. <clears throat> it didn't bother me until I actually went to Malta. And then I realized, shit, everybody speaks Maltese here and everybody speaks English as well. But I had lots of uncles and aunties that didn't speak English. And I had this one person that was, I, it became, she became very special to me, um, but I couldn't communicate with her because I didn't speak her language. And that just happened to me, my grandmother. So when I met my grandmother and I couldn't speak to her in her own language, I felt extremely disconnected from my roots. And I was at some level super disappointed because I'm like, holy shit, this is my grandmother. She's like 80 years old. And, you know, there's so much... I just want to connect with her and learn about her and feel, feel her and understand her stories and, and um, just being able to connect and have really basic conversation. But that language barrier was so incredibly and painfully real that I realized that I, I not only am I not Maltese, but uh, I was completely disempowered to speak to my own family. And that hurt a lot. That was like, wow, that's just like really disappointing. So I, yeah, I feel like those are some deep wounds, right? Because I had the same situation um, with my grandma, you know, and she was such a sweet woman um, and I loved her dearly. And she would sit around and she would always want to say, Johnny, come here. And she'd just hug me and say stuff in Spanish. And I just felt her love. Um, so she was very important. But at the same time, I had the same situation as you. I I, I felt heartbroken that I could not talk to this my the the grandmother of my family the one that brought all my uncles and aunts into this world i i had so many questions for her um unspoken or unasked and yeah i feel like it, it was that is just another wedge that was just another wedge and it was another wound i think deep inside to feel that i could not communicate with the ones that i loved the people i was supposed to belong to 
I mean, this made me question, do I belong to these people? Why am I even, why am I even here? Like, I don't fit in. And I, this is, man, I think this plagued me throughout my younger life and through adolescence. And I think it dictated a lot about my personality that comes to flourish um, later on. Yeah. So how old were you But when you started to have those kind of inner conflicts? Was that that those parties you were like 15 years old? How old were you roughly? No, no, no. It happened really early, man. Maybe six, seven years old. Wow. Okay. Started realizing I wasn't really the same. Yeah. This sense of exclusion, I imagine. Exclusion and isolation of not belonging to your own pack, not belonging to your own family. That's harsh. That's that's harsh. Yeah, especially as a young kid. Um, when I went to Malta the first time, I was 18 and I experienced that that language barrier, that frontier. And um, I thought to myself at some level that I was Maltese. And then everyone was like, ah, oh, kangaroo, ah, oh, you know, Aussie. And I was like, oh shit, maybe I'm not Maltese at all. And then I realized that they were right, man. I did, wasn't really at all mm, traditional Maltese or even a, a mix of Maltese Australian. I was like pretty much a hundred percent, you know, uh, I would say 95% Australian in lots of ways. Um, and I, I really realized at that point that that concept of myself being, you know, being more Maltese was a complete illusion. It wasn't, it wasn't real and it wasn't, it wasn't realistic. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And you know, it started early for me, but I think when I was young, it was like a quiet sadness Whereas I moved into adolescence, it became an anger, right? Like, so it changed from sorrow and a feel of aloneness to one of anger, frustration, and resentment, you know? And it's, and I don't want to be that kind of person, but that's just kind of, you know, year in, year out. I have really early childhood memories, like better than most people I know. Um, or at least go way back. Like I remember when I was three, I remember things happening. I remember a lot of stuff, but it was like, like I said, six or seven where that's when most of the family had arrived. Like people were moving from Puerto Rico to Alaska because, oh, the money's good, this and that, you know, but then of course people lived there for a while. They're like, nope, let's go back to the tropics. But that was the point where I realized, wow, I am a part of something big. Like this is like, I mean, I have 10 aunts and uncles, man. And they all have kids, every single one of them, some of them three or four. So I have a really big family. And I started to see that at six and seven. And don't get me wrong, man. I did feel, I knew I belonged to this family. They just had a story that I was not allowed to read. They had uh, a history book. They had a wealth of experiences and knowledge and understanding that I was unable to access. And so these things dude, I remember clearly almost six, seven years old being really sad and feeling very lonely, but they loved me. Don't get me wrong. They loved me to pieces. And so I never could stray too far. I still always considered myself a Puerto Rican, even though I don't speak English or Spanish. Um, and I still knew who my family was, but you asked about role models. And so that would have to be my uncles. But again, a lot of my uncles didn't speak good English. Um, and the ones that did, um, well, had many kids of their own, you know? And so, of course, I was there, but 
uh, wasn't really in their forefront. I was kind of off on the fringe. And yeah, and I imagine as well that you know men at that age at that time, you going back 30, 34 years or whatever, right? They're not. They probably weren't educated in the psychology of how children are and how you were affected. So they they probably didn't really understand or correct me if I'm wrong how to deal with that situation and, and how to comfort you or how to inspire you or how to mentor you because they were just like, oh, you know, he doesn't speak Spanish, whatever, he'll be right, you know, like he'll be fine. Whereas like really the power of good mentors, you know, if, to really put you on the right track is just to give you that strong ideology of what a man needs is like, okay, you can't speak Spanish, but what can you do? What can you do really well? Where are your strengths? Okay. Do you want to learn how to speak Spanish? How important is that to you? Do you want to take Spanish at university? There are options and there are ways, man, to be empowered. But if people around you are not inspiring you, well, then if you, it feels like there's no, there's no options, right? It feels like there's, um, you, you're either trapped or it feels like your options are limited. And then you start getting resentful because it's like, well, this, you know, people are, ne are neglectful to me. They didn't think about how, um, about the quality of my experience because of their own needs or selfish desires. And then it's kind of, it's easy to get um, trapped in, in a, in a, a real negative mental state. So you know, I would say a part of it, I imagine, would be the mentality uh, and a sense of maybe disempowerment with how to actually mentor the next generation of young men to be empowered, right? Especially, yeah. again, there's another the, the language barrier as well, which is tough. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, like, I, I'm sure that it crossed their mind, but yeah, they were young young men in a new land and ambitious and with a big family right um and yeah you, you teachers and psychologists and people like this we have an understanding of human brain development unlike any other human right we have this this foundation of understanding about the way um people's emotions can be affected you know the 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 paradigms that they hold on to, um, the, the times of their life that are most important. Um, and I, my uncles had none of that. In fact, so none of my uncles have a bachelor's degree. Um, ex I have one uncle who has a master's degree in, um, what is it? I don't know. It's finance. I think finance. Um, but aside from him, no one has a degree, a college degree, uh, not even my mom. Um, uh, they all just kind of worked for the unions, you know, they got in, my mom got in with the state, my uncles got in most of them. Like, I mean, today it's good. Both my uncles. So Danielle, the youngest is the president of the postal union, um, in Puerto Rico. And then my uncle in Alaska, Edwin is the president of the Alaska postal union. So they just got into these jobs and they never left. And now they kind of are reaping awards. Right. But they, yeah, you know, like, I don't want to get too sappy or too stuck on me, but I was just saying, going back to the modeling and having a role model there for you, someone to help me make sense of what it was like to be a, a man. I guess I should reiterate or clarify that I, you know, my dad wasn't in the household from as long as I can remember. So that's pre three years old. Right. So I think it was like, um, I don't know, one or two, I don't really know. And uh, <laughs> when I'd get in trouble, which I did often, um, 
You know, I felt, like I said, I felt alone and I'd lash out. And even at a young age, I'd lash out. My, I don't have any memories of an uncle coming up to me and having a sit down with me, like saying, hey, it's okay to make mistakes, uh, blah, 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 right? That I don't have one single memory of that. So when I think about role models, it came outside of my family. Um, and it didn't happen until I started having really good teachers that cared about me. Um, and then a couple of my friends' fathers, right, would say, uh, here's little Johnny. He's a good kid. He's troubled, but he has potential. Let's have some conversations. Bring him fishing with us this weekend. Have him come camping with us next weekend. And so this is where the role modeling uh, for me uh, started. It began outside of my family, which, again, is more of, um, you know, kind of like a a wedge between me, who I am. It, it fueled my identity crisis because I knew that why can't I get this at home? Why can't I get this within my family? Why do I have to go leech off some other family? I shouldn't use the word leech because they wanted me there, but it became leech-like. <laughs> I started, I started going every excuse I could get. And these are like Norwegian, right? American, they're Americans that have like Nor Norwegian or native Alaskan, um, um, backgrounds, right? So they too are all like immigrant status or not, or just the indigenous um, people of the area. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of like, I guess, and I think that's fueled from the, the uncertainty within my own family, right? So I can see it through my lens, but maybe my uncles felt uncertain, right? Because of their identity, because now they're in Alaska and they're doing new jobs around people that don't understand their accent, you know? So I think that maybe it all fueled together. I don't think any of it was, actually, I know none of it was intentional. It was just not in their game plan to go, you know, make men out of their descendants, you know, or whatever, for lack of a better example or <laughs> phrase. But yeah, man. So yeah, yeah. I, I did something kind of similar in the, in that sense is that when I was searching for my own identity, I, I've, was gravitating towards other families that were able to give me a sense of purpose and give me a sense of um, love or give me a sense of uh, like guidance that was more re that resonated more closely to who I thought I was innately as, as an individual. And um, they did some, some people and some particular families helped me a great deal and I'm forever grateful for them. But um the the question that comes to mind is how did you deal with that kind of identity of like who i'm sure that at, at some point in that adolescence like you were like i don't know who i am am, am i this or am i that am i what or you know, like am i good am i bad how did you try how did you figure that out how did you make decisions about who you wanted to be as a young man and how did you gravitate to kind of try to solidify uh, some of those really tough questions about who you were and, and wanted to be as a person. Yeah, man, it was like, <laughs> imagine, you know, just learn, starting to learn how to swim, but not knowing how to swim quite yet. And so when you get into that water, that's a little too deep, you're pawing up towards the sky, paddling desperately to get a breath of air until you realize, oh, wait, my feet can touch the ground and you stand up and you can breathe, but you're out of air. I feel like that was a big, that's how it was. I was always trying to get my head above the water. Um, 
um, yeah, it got more complicated when I started realizing that I had a, you know, my dad was right there in the city and they wanted, we wanted to spend more time together. And then I started realizing I'm also Italian, right? My last name was Italian. I didn't understand that because my whole upbringing, I am a Puerto Rican, right? I'm Puerto Rican. And then I realized, wait, I'm a Puerto Rican Italian in Alaska. This is strange. Um, so I think that I was just desperately trying to hold on to things. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know if I ever figured out who I was, Stephen. <laughs> I don't know if I ever did, man. But when you because say I, hold on to things, is that a sense of who who you thought you were? Like, is that the concept of yourself? Exactly. It's who I thought I was. Um, and I started building this idea, right, of who I was. And I had romantic imagine, imaginations, uh, dream daydreams about my me being this great Italian from this wonderful culture. And I started reading about like the culture and being like, man, Rome is amazing, blah, 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 blah. And Puerto Rican. And yeah, but meanwhile, I'm in a, an ecotopia that has nothing to do. It's not really... You know, the the special thing about Alaska, I think one of the things that probably saved me was that I come from one of the most beautiful places that can shake the ingrained culture out of anybody. Uh, eventually, I mean, you don't have to be there long, but Alaska becomes a part of who you are and your blood. I don't care where you are in the world. It is such an overwhelming force of nature and beauty. Uh, the weather can be oppressive, yet our communities are well-developed. Um, and you, you can stay active and busy, but number one is we are connected to nature. And like I said, when you become connected to nature, it rattles, it, it, it shakes out all that cultural sediment, you know, that is in our souls. It beats it out of us. You never lose it. I'm still considering myself a Puerto Rican Italian, <laughs> American Thai. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I'm so lucky I came from Alaska because nature, like I said, unites everybody in that community. Nobody is Samoan. Nobody is Filipino. Nobody is German, Italian, or Puerto Rican uh, in the Southeast Alaska. You're all Alaskans. And so that was a wonderful thing, right? That was the thing that saved me. Um, but yeah, so just trying to make sense of what little I knew to form who I was, um, but it became hard as I, like we were talking about going to friends and stuff. It became hard when I started having friends from, well, nowhere near Italy or nowhere near Puerto Rico. These were like uh, Scandinavians, you know, and Europeans, right? And uh, Christian families and whatnot. And that I think confused me more, but at the same time, they offered me a refuge, right? And I said, this is the kind of family I want to be like, which I don't think is accurate it's not true it's just the way i thought right yeah i want to go back to what you're talking about with nature and i feel like when you have those really strong um forces of nature either pressed upon you or connections to the to the earth a lot of the materialistic or the or the, the social programming which is kind of illusions just washes away right even this concept of identity it's like this, this concept of nationality, this concept of I'm this and they're that, them versus us or you know, them and us or whatever. It's just like, I'm on the planet. I can breathe, I can feel, I can be human. I'm connected to this. 
and everything else doesn't matter. And it feels like it just, it's like a cleansing, right? Like a deep um, cleansing of the illusion um, that really, if you're human and you're, you're breathing and you're connecting and you're communicating and you're a part of that nature, then a lot of those other uh, social constructions do, I think, wash away. Does, was yeah. it something like that? Oh, absolutely, dude. It's like nucleic, right? Uh, it is this thing which we all revolve around, right? And and no matter who you are, you can't escape the reality of the dangers of living in Southeast Alaska. Like it, it, you can die of pneumonia there or the flu just from the weather, not falling in the ocean, but there's that too. Um, there's snowstorms, you know, it's so intense that everyone experiences it, that no one's willing to stand by and watch while someone else struggles. So everybody helps each other there because if you don't, you may be next. And we know that, you know, whereas in these big cities, you know, people like I live in Bangkok in these big cities and even the United States, New York, I mean, even Portland. I remember I was in Portland during September 11th, uh, 2001, for those of you that are too young to remember, uh, that's the big uh, terrorist attacks on the trade towers. Anyways, I remember um, how loving and kind the six days that followed the falling of the towers of September 11th was a time that I will never forget. The city slowed down. People looked each other in the eyes and asked if you were okay. And people really cared for each other during that um, that tumultuous time. Um, but then like day seven, dude, you know, God says, let there be rest. The earth or the Americans said, let's go back to war. <laughs> and they hated each other again. And so I remember day seven, just being like, damn. When I was in Portland, like everyone was so nice. And now it's like, beep, 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 beep. Hey, fuck you. And it goes back to like this chaos and everybody forgot. It was so strange. Um, but that can't happen in Alaska because those dangers persist every day, whether it is bears digging through your trash, people warning each other, whether it's the icy roads that will run you off into the channel if you're not careful, whether you're stuck in negative uh, temperatures in your car, you can't get out. People will stop because they know that suffering like everybody else, right? And the diet, um, there's not a person I've ever met in the face of the earth, especially not in Alaska that doesn't love salmon and halibut. It is the, you know, it is such good fish when it's fresh. And then the berries, the blueberries in the, in the, the summer, um, stuff like this, everybody shared those experiences. Everybody didn't matter what color you were. So all Alaskans will tell you, yeah, they'll tell you who, what their genealogy is, if you care, or you can even see it on their faces um, or in their accents, but they're still Alaskans, you know, first and foremost, Alaskans will always help each other. Um, and that is something that I'm grateful for. I think, you know, I could have been in a lot of trouble if I was raised in a different place. Like if I was raised in New York or LA, I don't think it would have been good. I might not even be here today, actually. Yeah. Well, that sense of connection surpasses any kind of, I, I guess, racial or identity barriers that we, that we give ourselves. Um, it's just, you know, people trying to survive and a sense of survival. It's, you know, humans versus nature and nature can swallow you up and eat you. And, you know, this, this sense of protecting and, 
and the, the, protecting the community, protecting each other from the, you know, looming danger and, and real danger at all times. Well, I think that's, yeah, that's something that gives you perspective, right? We always had something to talk about, you know, Alaska, like it's so beautiful, whether it was the rainstorm the night before cars being stuck or plowed in, um, you know, we complained about the same things and we rejoiced in the same things like, oh my God, did you see the Northern Lights last night? Everybody knew. We all had a story um, that threaded us all together into one great, like one community. Um, but we shouldn't forget, like I had that, but I still was at struggle uh, with myself and my family. And as I got older, uh, it just, I came less and less I felt less and less connected. And right. I, I'll even go as far as saying I felt like I did not belong to my family. Yeah, well, you didn't give me quite a de definitive answer in that sense of like oh. how, and that's okay. Um, and maybe we'll get to it now. In the sense of how you were able to kind of pinpoint your identity and mold yourself and decide who you wanted to be as a person. Because I feel like a part of your identity as, a, as an individual is to have... Uh, is to, to develop or have imprinted on you or download a sense of morality. Like, who are you as a person? What do you think is right or wrong? Like, where did that, how did you develop the, uh, a, a much stronger sense of who you were through that adolescent adolescence uh, and yeah. And, and move in transitioning into an adult. How did you decide who you wanted to become ultimately? Maybe I, uh, circumvented that question because i still don't know steve <laughs> <laughs> i had a feeling you you, you might have gave me given me a a, a very a, not sneaky answer but um yeah no it makes it's look here look i'll say this um it 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 started so i think the beginning and it will get better so just bear with me in the beginning my identity started to form by knowing I was alone and that nobody was going to help me. So that was the beginning. That changed over time as I started spending time outside of my family and starting to be uh, join in on like big family gatherings of my friends and to see the love. And, you know, my life with faith uh, is a, long winding bumpy road um in some places the bridges have broken and i had to rebuild them so this has been a long journey but i started to realize that outside of all of us doesn't matter who you are what your ethnic background is i, I you know i started learning of the god concept right and so i i learned this through my friends my my mother and my father uh, both abandoned their faith before I can remember. I don't have any memory of them being any type of religious, so to speak. But a lot of my friends were. Uh, and they weren't like radically religious because they knew I wasn't. They knew I didn't understand their prayers. They knew that at my house, we did not do this thing. Church, religion, belief, faith. We just didn't have it. And they knew it. But I was always equally welcome amongst all the friends. Now, I don't know if they're trying to save me or whatever, but I don't think that was the case. I think that my friends cared about me a lot. They saw where I was and they wanted me to be with them. And well, their parents were kind of religious. So there would always be prayer at dinner. 
there would always be a, a thanking of God during a good event or the safety, the safe outcome of a football game. Nobody got hurt. Thank God. Um, and just prayer and love. And so that's when I started to realize that there's more to this world besides just our genetics, our cells, our languages, um, our, the food we eat, the way we dance, there was way more to this. And there was this thing called God and well, God and, you know, these guys weren't Muslim or anything like that. Um, one or two were Jewish and then a, a lot of them were Christian. And so God came along with Jesus, um, or Moses or other people, but primarily, uh, Jesus. And you know, the story of Jesus is that he loves everybody, right? He loves everybody. And he wants everybody's equal and he wants everybody to have a home and the home is in God's kingdom. And so this, even though I fought against it, like this is not the end, dude. I didn't like all of a sudden find out who I was, um, but I knew that there was hope. So I went from loneliness, isolation to a sense of hope and gladness. And then I started going off into camps. So I think that's, the acceptance, right? There's another thing built into that is forgiveness and acceptance. And so I realized that, okay, this is my situation. This is who I am. Uh, it's okay. And God loves me. <laughs> so this God loves me concept brings a lot of confidence into any human being's mind. All of a sudden, when you feel jaded, scared, and alone, you do not anymore. You know, you got back. And so that's, I think, where it began. I am still, outside of my family that I have now, I am still, I would say, you know, and I'm going to be totally honest. I'm going to go on a limb. I'm still a broken person. Um, and I don't want to, like, bring people down. It's okay to be broken. Um, it just gives me something to strive for. But I'm still a broken person. But I have gone to and from um, my faith in um a higher order of things. And now I'm pretty solidly on top of that. And that I believe has become my identity. So now I'm a family man. And now I realize, I mean, if you hear about my upbringing, man, you know, that I probably like it was megalomania, you know, it was like, like I was self-centered because I felt like nobody gave a shit about me, nobody. So why should I care? But then of course, God and Jesus and all this stuff comes along. And then you're like, Oh, you got to care. You got to be moral, got to be kind, you got to love, because that's what God wants. And if you do that, you're in his family, and you'll never be abandoned. So these weird stories in my head, right, tons of different stories. And I'll be honest, like I'm saying, man, I am 43 years old. And I would, I'm going to say it right now on the air, buddy, I'm still a broken person. But I'm more complete than I've ever been in my entire life. I'm still picking up the pieces. But you can actually see me now, you know, you can really see me and I have a sense of purpose that I, be, again, I believe is derived from divinity, from the thing outside of ourselves. And that is family, right? Taking care of the others, not trying to win. That's been my biggest struggle is trying to win over my wife, trying to be in control. I've always been a control freak um, to an extent because of these situations, but I feel like now I'm coming into who I really am. And uh, every all that baggage from the past is the soil in which I, I grow, right? And it is my nutrients, whether healthy or not. Um, but 
I've, I feel like I've figured out who I am. And that is one that needs to continue to improve himself and define. I feel like sometimes ethnicity erases the truth. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave it at, like, at that. But I believe that culture has a way of dividing people, right? It unites people, but here's the paradox behind it all. It unites people, but it closes their eyes to the others. And, you know, I feel like eventually you start to realize, no, at the end of the game, the king and the pawn go back in the same box. And we're all in this, this, this whirlwind together and we're all going back to our creator eventually. And, you know, language is just about geography, right? <laughs> Culture just becomes about ecology, food and dance and the rhythms based on the pulses of the earth where you live. Anyway, sorry, man. Tangent, good stuff. What about you, buddy? Who did you look up to when you... But, yeah, let me ask you this before we, we go <laughs> further, because I think it's important, is that do you feel like believing in God or ad adopting a particular religion, religion gives you an ethical compass that gave you a sense of morality that you didn't have and, and a sense of grounding? What, did it, what was the number one thing that it did for you? Or was it more the sense of acceptance and love and belonging to something? Uh, no, it gave me more. I think it gave me morality, right? Like you, you're only in God's company when you're doing right and good to others. So there's a lot of accountability that comes with being, um, even if you're not religious and I'm not religious, I need people to know that you, everyone that knows me knows I am not religious. Uh, I just, I have the story that, um, it's kind of, written and directed by <laughs> some religions, but I have a story. Um, <clears throat> and there's a lot of accountability in that story. Okay. So yeah, Jesus loves you. Every, you, everything's forgivable unless you keep doing it and breaking the rules, then you're not sincere. You, you're, you're outcasted. You're, you're thrown out. Um, and it's not, it was never a fear of being thrown out. Don't get me wrong. I told you I was very lonely and I accepted my loneliness and I felt like I was just one that did not belong. Not only, and if you don't belong to your family, how can you belong to the world, right? To your society, to your world. So there was that. So yeah, believe me, I, I was not in fear of God throwing me into the flames of hell. No way. But I, I really early on realized that hell is on earth as well. And it's our thoughts and our actions that dictate what we're going to experience. And I know that when I did harm, it hurt people and it hurt me. And when I did good, it made people feel good, which in turn made me feel good. So I think that it, okay, so it's the accountability, right, of the story. It is the, the historical side of things. And then it is this idea. And once you experience love and happiness, you don't want to go back. Nobody does. I don't care who you are, how angry, how black your heart is. Um, once you get those feelings, you're elated, you're, you're feather light, your heart is bumping in joy, not in fear or anger. And all of a sudden, everything gets better around you. Everything. If you're kind to people, people are going to be kind to you, right? And there will always be an asshole here and there, but you don't want to em emulate that asshole. You emulate the goodness. So that's basically it. I think that's where it came from. Um, but like I said, I struggled for many, 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 many years after that 
but I always somehow managed to come crawling back. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I think a lot of people get it and try to figure out their identity through work if, if they feel like they haven't got a strong identity through family. Um, it's, you've had some very similar experiences to me. I felt like Maltese, Maltese culture is very strong. Um, they're very, they can be very arrogant. Um, and a lot of them are uneducated as, as people, like most immigrants are not educated. They just, they work in labor jobs and, um, was actually in Malta about three months ago. And I was connecting with my uncles and aunties because my dad is one of 11 children as well. And I had this realization, I'm like, none of my family, none of my, none of my direct descendants, my uncles and aunties are educated. None of, they're all working class, uneducated people. And some of them have barely have any skills, a skill set, you know, they're the cleaners for God's sake. Um, but I feel like one of, one of the issues that really stung me was that the more educated that I got and more that I spread myself out in Australian culture and, and the more different ideas that I, that I was able to absorb that the, to use that metaphor that you used, which, which was, I think appropriate, created a wedge as well for separating me from my family. Uh, so for example, my, I might hear my dad, you know, have an opinion about the Australian Aborigines. And then if you're, um, if you don't have any education about that circumstance, it's easy to uh, adopt a narrative that kind of suits, you know, maybe a capitalistic perspective because, you know, it justifies your, um, your endeavors, you know, and it just, it just made me, it just caused a lot of um, separation and more division because I, I realized that I thought, I thought differently and what I wanted was different and who I became or who I was becoming was different. So, so that's interesting. I just want to, so are you telling me that you feel that your education, um, education itself, this search for knowledge has the ability to, well, form wedges between individuals and in our, your case, family? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think- How did you feel about the family members in Malta or in Australia uh, that were uneducated and arrogant after you had been there? educated well at first it used to make me really angry that i was like well why can't you see that this and why can't you see that that why do you have to use that australian aborigine you know example why can't you have empathy for a, a culture that's been decimated by the british that were here for forty thousand years and british culture has been here for 200 right um but then i just i just started to really develop empathy and understand and um but it made me emotionally separate myself from my family and say, well, you know, you just don't get it. You, you can't see the opposite points of view or, and you're not willing to listen. That's the part that's difficult. You're not willing to listen and have a discussion. You're telling me what you think, you know, and it's just like, well, all right, you know, but this conversation's going nowhere. And it's just, I would just separate myself and then that would be it. So I think does education create, um, division yeah it, it does especially if you study like humanities where you know it's 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 looking at um maybe looking at history or politics or literature and understanding the human condition holistically and then it, it doesn't always resonate or work with some other narratives um yeah so i think that definitely can cause 
rifts when because it creates you know you're you're fighting against different ideologies you know ideologies of of economic ideologies and capitalistic ideologies and you know this is the way the world works and you know it's all about surviving and you know whereas if you start learning about the human condition you start appreciating philosophy then oh then maybe life isn't all about money you know money's important but maybe it's not you know maybe i want to dream chase my dreams and maybe i want to be inspired and have passion and a lot of a lot of them just don't care about that you know it's just like well you know that's just stupid you should you know get yourself a job make lots of money don't go to university it's wasting your time and money it's going to put you four years behind you know get yourself a trade you know and buy some houses and you know get married and have some children because that's that sounds like that that sounds like the the, it, like the first rule of a patriarch patriarch's household do not <laughs> think do not listen to the stories outside of this <laughs> those stories will corrupt you you just go to work and come home and take care of mama and papa um no i'm joking but, but at the same time it, it's very true it's very yep. true like education has this way man i would say it has a way of creating more loneliness too uh, on the road, not like permanent loneliness, but initial, like when you're going through it and you're starting to realize, oh, they don't understand me, right? They don't understand how smart I am, <laughs> that I know everything, that your thousands of years of culture are not better than the books that I just read last week. So, <laughs> you know, like, but this is like, I started to be, feel this way too, because I was on this mission to become educated. And um, really quick, I want to go back, I'm sorry, to identity. I think I misunderstood your question, and I'm going to do this really quick. Um, I think um, I was thinking about the now, right, more as so as back then. So when I was young, I think that I, I started to form my identity, like I told you, through my family's beliefs and stuff, but also through music, through snowboarding and skateboarding. I started building micro communities, right, like uh, where I could I hate to say this, but I can dominate. I could come in there and impress and be a part of this family that inspires other boys. And it was all through like music, right? And then sports, whether it was football, American football, excuse me, basketball. And then of course the board sports where I started to really excel and gain respect from my peers. And um, I think those, but those weren't the real me. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't get me wrong. I still love basketball. I played the other day. My foot still hurts, but I played the other day uh, with, with the high schoolers at my school and a couple of teachers and uh, music, right. Bound me together with other people. I started to dress like those musicians. It's very weird. Um, but I went through those phases, but then eventually like it started to really also come together through drug use and alcohol. I should focus on alcohol. That would be the number one. Uh, this created like a sense of identity, false, let it be known, false, but an escape from the reality. And then coupled with my music, sports and alcohol, I had a new circle of friends that I considered my family. A lot of them are still my good friends till today, but they're nothing like me because education, well, made me a superhuman I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I just wanted to touch back on that because I, I felt like we haven't podcasted in a while, Steve. So I didn't even have a notepad down here to write notes. And then I was like, identity, wait a minute. No, he, I think that's what you wanted, right? Like is a circle of friends, right? Even though it's a false identity. Yeah. I want to know the, work the, at the moment. transition of adolescence into, into adulthood and, and maybe some of those pieces and parts of that, of that transition 
and transcendence into maturity. Um, and, you know, coming to like, there's a period there of experimentation and discovery and exploration. That's super normal being an adolescent. Um, but I do feel like the, the general theme of, of uh, these experiences, that a sense of feeling completely lost, you know, like not knowing yourself, not knowing what you want, not knowing um, how you want to interact with the world. And again, I, I think I want to, you know, if I had to point, if I had to point, put it like point fingers or put a blame, I think it would be um, a lack of guidance and role models and, and op being aware of options and a, a lack of guiding when it comes to, you know, your ethical compass and morality about who you want to be and then, and developing that conviction because of how you see yourself in the world. And it's pretty deep, man, because even that stuff comes down to, like you said, self-worth. What do I really feel about myself? How do I think of, about who I am and my value and, you know, and, and being intimidated by other groups of people, maybe because they're more educated, more articulate, uh, more money, you know, high social class, you know, so there's so many things happening, um, you know, when you're trying to build your identity and, and flourish from being a, a, you know, a young adolescent to being an adult, it's, it's, it's a pretty tough transition when you're doing it individually and you're doing it alone. And I, and I do think you do it. A lot of it's on your own. You know, that, that sense of feeling alone, I think is, is comes from a sense of, well, okay, shit, I better take some responsibility for who I am because no one's going to help me. And I need to, I need to figure this out myself because it looks like I'm here all alone and it's, it looks like it's up to me. Um, and that's a really tough pill to swallow when you, when you haven't got that support of family. So do you, do you feel like you had a similar, um, I guess, internal monologue or feeling, um, like, like that, or was yours, um, I don't know, a little more candied over. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, man. Like, uh, because of the expectations that my father had for me to be a certain way and adopt these culturally, these European and, and not even like Maltese European. It's like this new hybrid Maltese Australian, which is like, okay, now the winter Australia, you know, it's all about surviving and making money and, you know, getting ahead because, you know, those first immigrants, man, when they came to Australia, if they didn't work, they didn't eat. You know, they came with literally no savings, a back, you know, a suitcase with some crappy clothes. You know, I'm sure you've heard the stories from the Italians, from the Irish, you know, Maltese, the Greeks, they're, they all have these same stories of, of suffering and, um, you know, the suffering and the trials and tribulations of being an immigrant and then, you know, becoming successful. It's, but, you know, it's like this programming of, you know, I, I came to Australia and I survived and I'm successful because I did this and I sacrificed this. And here is a map of success and you should do what I've done to be equally successful. But it's like, bro, dad, this is a new world, man. The world that you lived in 20 years ago is not, you know, you, it's not the world today. You know, it's not my life. It's not my experiences. And that conflict between expectations of me being a young man and wanting to experience the world and experience different things and prioritize different things caused huge conflict in my family. Um, so yeah, did I feel alone? 100%. Like I basically at some, at, at, at a very conscious level, which is very sad and it's not something I'm proud of. I definitely would just rejected my family completely. 
uh, my parents and just said, well, I don't, I, I, I don't fit into this. And I, and I, just, I don't feel supported. I don't feel even loved. I don't feel part of the circle. So I'm, I'm out, I'm done. And as soon as I got my car license, I was basically never home. Um, so yeah, I think that's really sad because then I was kind of forced to develop my own identity in my own way. And then I, I started to do that. And the way that I did it was, yeah, I kind of was like in different groups of friends and meeting young people and other people and, and, and kind of sharing ideas. And this was before I went to university because I went to university when I was about 28 years old. I was a bit older. So I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be uneducated, you know, not university educated and university educated and what that did to me. Um, but th there was what really saved me, man, was, was really, to be honest, was the, was books, was books and literature and books about psychology uh, and self-improvement and uh, books about spiritual health and connecting with myself. And I, I started to, to address that trauma myself. Um, but then I had a huge hurdle because I was trying to develop myself as a person. And then I, my parents had kind of influenced me to work in, in real estate. And then I would become, and I started working in real estate. And then I had this huge internal conflict of, all right, I'm working in real estate. I'm a, I'm a real estate property valuer. I was at that stage, 21 years old, man. I was a real estate property valuer. I'll never forget the day that I, my first day I worked and I walked out of the door and I'm like, holy shit, I'm a real estate valuer. I'm, I've got a suit on, a tie, a briefcase, you know, like I'm in the corporate world. And I'm like, again, I'm like, I don't know who I am again, right? I don't know who I am. <laughs> and then I started to have this huge internal conflict again of like, I don't believe in any of this. I don't even like any of this, but I'm doing this because I was told to do it. I need to make money. And I was, I was completely broke and desperate for, to survive. Uh, my parents didn't give me any money and help me financially. Then I had this huge conflict that work instead of work, you know, correlating with who I was and an extension, it was actually the exact reverse. It was like this pernicious disease inside of me that was basically taking away uh, my integrity and, and everything that I didn't believe in um, that I was, I was literally a manifestation of that. So that was the irony. And then, so that was a setback. So I, I think for a lot of people that work can be a great way to form identity. If your ethical values are aligned with that job and it suits your purpose. Right. But you know, if it's I, not, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I also, I'm going to go to the other side of the field on you right here. And, uh, I think that even if it's not in line with your moral or ethical compass, it still helps shape your identity. And here's what I mean. Uh, I've failed so many times in my life, buddy. But like Edison says, it, 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 or said, it, 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 it's not a failure. It's a way how not to do something. And so I, my life wasn't like finding the job that made me who I am today. My job, my life was... <laughs> quitting that fucking job because that shit ain't what I want to do. Let me go try this. This shit sucks. I ain't going to do that. That is uh and I went through, dude, I would say 20 years now, maybe 15 years of doing that going, I don't like this. What am I doing? Why am I here? The question stopped being, who am I? I started to know who I was by what I didn't want to do. Oops don't want to do that. Well, yeah, I did go to school for one year to kind of learn how to do that. Oh, well, 
live and learn. That's not my destiny. And I kept going until I met you, dude, back in, uh, uh, well, I wouldn't say till I met you, but until I got into teaching in Columbia, right, is where I started to really understand who I am and who I want to be. Because I remember being young and I told you about those teachers that inspired me. I still remember the things we did. I still can see some of their strategy in play. And I'm like, damn. Um, and I remember wanting to be a teacher at an early age, but you know, American culture and, and immigrant families always put money first, right? Just get a job, stick with it and everything will be okay. That was the message I was getting, um, not the message that I was using. Um, but yeah, I think that's hilarious because you're right. Uh, jobs like, well, I'm a teacher now. So this job is forming my identity and it is permeating into all aspects of my life. And I love it. My son's benefiting a lot from it. Um, the neighborhood kids, right? I know how to like get them talking and stuff because I have this amazing skill of communication. And, and, and I think a lot of teaching comes from human love, but I'll tell you what happened before those, uh, those days in Colombia. it was a whole lot of ways not to build the light bulb. Yeah. And that is, um, that is somewhat amusing, but no one, you know, at that point in time, no one tells you, you know, that how you can find that match maybe a little bit faster. So you don't have to, um, you don't have to experience that for as long, or you're doing that as a process of discovery. And it's like, okay, I'm investing into this and I'm getting something, but I, it still doesn't feel quite congruent, or maybe we're not ready for it completely as individuals. So we're not ready for that next job that we, we want. That's going to be fulfilling because we haven't emotionally developed yet. So maybe it could be that as well. But, um, I really feel like if, if, if you have, if you have a clear purpose of what you want to achieve, and you have a clear purpose of who you want to be, finding the job that is aligned to that is, is something that can happen quite organically, right? So, and that's maybe, that, that can be great, but also your process of discovery, you know, moving through jobs that you didn't want also is extremely eye-opening and, and provides awareness because you've, you've tried so many different things that it all stacks and gives you perspective on, how you want to live your life and what those things actually mean. They're not just concepts. They're real experiences that you're drawing from. And that yeah. give, that's, gives you real power as well. Absolutely. You know, um, and that's why I use the Thomas Edison quote, uh, a thousand ways how not to do something. They're not failures because I'll tell you what, you can ask anybody about my cooking skills, right? You can, uh, yeah, you can ask anybody about my ability to, I mean, I understand electricity. I have so many skills that still I use until this day um, based on all those, the, that winding path of going from job to job to job to job, you know, like I've, I almost would not take any of it back. I feel like that's who made me who I was. That was another form of education, right? So I, I just think that's really interesting in this, this concept of is you know, is your job a reflection of who you are or, you know, does your job allow you to express your identity or does it actually cause a whole bunch of internal conflict? Because I really, I really believe what you said in that sense of that, you know, even if you hate that job at some level, you permeate those, those experiences um, and, the, and the, who you need to be to be successful in that job definitely permeates into who you are. And you become that at some level, you radiate that energy, you, you become, you build those habits, you become, you think that way and it drastically 
well, significantly impacts you, right? Um, I don't know. Do you think that, you know, it sounds like to me that you're actually much more grateful for that process of discovery and exploration to, um, to experiment with a whole spectrum of jobs. Has that given you, what has that given you as a person that you think that, that you wouldn't have had if you found your perfect job from when you were 20 years old? Well, yeah, it's like a, a, a maze of doors, right? And I had to open a door and be like, oh, interesting. That's not where I want to go, but okay, there's a view there. And then I'd go to the next door, the next door, the next door. And every door had something to offer. It just wasn't what I was looking for, you know? Um, so I think everything in all of our lives, yours, mine, uh, anybody listening, um, all those experiences are good and shaping. And I wouldn't take back even my loneliness. I wouldn't take back my struggles, my trauma, because I believe that the ultimate growth and awareness in life is that we are all in this together, that we all have traumas, that we all have these emotions, no matter how good our life goes, there's always a disconnect of who we are and where we fit in. Um, and I believe that it made me humble, right? It made me humble and it taught me that, including myself, we can all make mistakes and they're not always bad. That mistakes should be taken as a, a, a seed of life, right? A way of growth. Um, and so, yeah, man, I feel like all those taught me what I didn't want to be, but at the same time, the people that are in those fields well, they probably want to be there. And that's great, man. I'm, I'm stoked for them, you know? And I think all in all, it's made me a better human being. It's made me more accepting to all others, um, um, especially my loneliness, right? I feel like um, I wouldn't take that back because now in my life as a teacher and, and much more, hopefully, um, that all I want to do is give people a sense of belonging, um, help them attain their goals, no matter what they are. Um, and I accept the other. I don't want to force anyone to be more like me. If someone doesn't want an education, uh, I shouldn't say that because that sounds like degrading in a sense. Um, but if someone's path is not to go down the books, right, the, 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 the aisles of books like you and me, uh, that's okay, man, because I did that job before. And you know what? It's an important job. It helps people. It does something, whether you're a cook or an accountant or pushing paper at the state, you're doing something for the benefit of others. And I really value that. Now, it's not my identity to be doing those things, but I, I do, I saw a thread, a common thread between all my jobs, and it was one of help humans help each other. The only way we can actually be what we are and have leisure time is by the help of others. Now, it's not always direct help. It can be indirect. It oftentimes is indirect. Um, but it, it taught me that everybody has value. Even the person at Starbucks coffee, even the guy cleaning the drains outside, God bless him or her. It's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it, right? Um, but it also made me realize that you can follow your dreams. And I'll be honest, being a lonely person early on 
helped me. It freed me. It made me free. It made me free to find my own path. Whereas maybe if I was not at all lonely, I was surrounded by people that were modeling and for me and trying to help me. Maybe I would have felt so much love. I would have done what they said. And then I would have been in a job that I, that really didn't fulfill some really deep needs that I have, which is to communicate and help others find a better place. Um, you know, I, I remember wanting to be an author and I still do. Um, and the reason why is because books gave me that light and it, I felt like they were helping me. And so I always wanted to help through writing good stories that people could, could, you know, benefit from, could use in their own lives, on their own journey of self-discovery. I wanted to do that, but I never did. But teaching was as close to it as I've ever been. It is a way to communicate, to help people, to let them know they're okay, even when they're struggling. They're still beautiful in my book. And that, 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 that love, that unconditional love for humanity comes directly from divinity, right? Comes from the story of we all belong and we're all loved. So <clears throat> I hope I answered your question. I, I, I'm not sure if I did. You know me and my tangents. Yeah, man, I think you did. I think I like... And, you know, like, I like your reflections there. And I, I really feel like there are some benefits that, that of suffering and coming to, you know, like figuring that stuff out yourself. I feel like there's maybe inspirational passion or drive that's born from this trauma of, I don't know who I am and I need to figure it out. And, um, you know, trial and error and then kind of becoming all these different things. And instead of it just been handing it out on a handed out on a plate to you and, and just kind of manifesting. Um, so I, I think there's real power if that trauma or suffering can develop into inspiration, but it's hard to do that because it can, it can really break you as an individual or it can damage you um, or it can leave you with, you know, lifelong trauma that is debilitating. And I think that's where it's really hard where it's, it's, you know, pulls you down and leaves you with limiting beliefs uh, and that's that's really hard to overcome that stuff, but I think it's it's possible. And I think you, if you can overcome any negativity or any, um, you know, it's self-deprecating ideology, or, or uh, then you be, you become a lot stronger. So I definitely feel that. Um, there's something else that you said in that in that tangent too that I liked was, you know, by by being disconnected and isolated, right, was you were actually given the gift of freedom. And, yeah. you know, like freedom to develop yourself and your own identity and also the freedom to leave without guilt. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Um, and that's, that can uh, be a blessing, right? And, you know, I, I feel that same way. That's why I'm, I'm probably projecting myself on you here. Um, but I, I think to myself, well, if I, exactly as you said, if I was really close to my parents, and, uh, you know, there was a deep connectional, this deep bond of love. I would never have had such these, these wild spectrum of experiences because I would never have been able to live in another country for so long or, or travel around for so long or, or being able to allow myself to um, experiment with different identities and, and figure out where I want, who I wanted to be. And like you said, it can be very, very dangerous, especially as a young man to do risky, illegal, unethical, um, 
and that's you know things you know just just behaviors it just can because you, you don't have anyone to say listen you know you shouldn't do that because you might hurt somebody it's like you got to figure that stuff out on your own and, and and figure out that you know these actions are negative to me and are negative to other people and i don't feel good when i do that you have to develop your own moral code and that's so in, intense and crazy right um but i think there is I feel in some way that I'm definitely blessed that I got that freedom to become the person that I am because now you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, everything that I am is a product of my, my decisions and choices and conscious decisions, decisions that shape me to be who I am today. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I feel like our, the cultures, this global culture um, is, not really uh liberating in that sense like parents our parents wanted the best for us or most parents want the best for their child but they don't want their child uh to find themselves right and and i don't mean that it's intentional but you know there was a time where we allowed our citizens our children to form their own identities and then we allowed them to choose their jobs because whatever if we knew if they loved those jobs if that was their choice that they would do good at it but we've changed we've gone backwards and now it's like a everybody's got to be a doctor everybody's got to be you know financier everybody's got there's like three routes right lawyer doctor uh businessman <laughs> you know and we can put all the social media uh ventures as business um in a sense right like or entertainment but but yes by if i would have felt connected fully connected i don't think i would have had the strength or the courage to branch out and really find myself you know and i'm still finding myself i am the shadow constantly chasing the being right um and I'm forever connected to that shadow and that being they are intertwined. They are one. And, uh, I don't feel it's bad to chase yourself, you know, but I was so lib I was so freed up by this, that I was able to form my own identity and it is the person I want to be for sure. It is. And I, I it is a blessing. It's a true blessing. And, <clears throat> you know, that was something that would be positive. So maybe we could talk about like, I, I think that you had this already in mind to start talking about what like positive things, if you, if you want to go that route now. Yeah, I definitely do. I want to, we've got about 20 minutes left and I want to just think about maybe even reflect on some, some parts of like for a lot of people that have struggled with your identity for a lot of people that have struggled with being, you know, not being able to connect with different elements of who they are. Cause I biologically, I look like this. Uh, yet, you know, I, I was brought up in this culture and there's things that I'm ashamed of. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's wise to, to reflect on some positive things that, um, that having a mix, the kind of diversity of ethnicity or, or cultures, what it's given us and given me. And for me personally, it's, it's just given me a, a much better spectrum of what it's like to, to have a foot in two worlds simultaneously. And what I've tried to do, you know, as I've matured, and I, I would say this to anyone that, that asked me, it was like, how do I deal with it? Is I would say it's really actually pretty easy is that you take from each culture, the best elements of what that is, 
all right? And you incorporate it into who you are. And maybe you choose to be a bit more, you know, a bit more American or a bit more Australian or a bit more European in, in some of those ideologies or behaviors or mannerisms or, you know, in the, in the morality, but you just take the best of, you know, I try to take now the best of that Maltese culture, which is understanding my heritage, understanding how hard my ancestors worked so that I could be alive today, right? And the chances of me being alive and, and, and born in, in, a, in a great, um, you know, de developed country, a very wealthy country, that my, my first language is English and being have, a, have access to that passport and have access to that society, right? And be able to learn from that. Whereas my you know, my, my Maltese cousins and, and they, they, they may be a bit more restricted in what they can do. Right. So I think, you know, if you can take the best elements from those different cultures and incorporate them into who you are and be proud of them. Right. It's like, yeah, I'm proud to be Australian. I'm, I'm proud to have grown up in Australia. Australia has given me so much. Right. And at the same time, I can go to Malta and I can see and visit my relatives. And that's kind of like, you know, it's, another tangent here, but I can go there and see them and experience that connection and, and love them. But at the same time, there's some separation there and let, let it go that I'm not there all the time and I'm not, but if I wanted to live there, I can, you know, and if I, you know, if I wanted to be a part of that culture, if I really want to, I can, I can go and do that. Um, so, you know, what's, let me ask you, what do you feel has been the benefits or, you know, what has it given you being, you know, having a, a depth and di diversity of, of identity? Yeah. Um, I think that kind of like what you said is you start to realize you have access to ideas, to realities, even, you know, like your passport or whatnot. Um, that you wouldn't have if you weren't from a mixed background. Um, I, you know, I, I love Puerto Rican culture for their music, right? Music, the food, the dance, the way of life, family orientation. Uh, it's very powerful, very beautiful. Um, but as we know, all cultures and all societies have their flaws and their limitations. So I think by being mixed, and then, you know, you can't really call me, I'm not an immigrant, but I grew up in a country that was not the country of my mother and father. Um, I, but, but we're all blessed because of it. I think some confusion comes with it because the American culture is quite a artificial one to some extent, but yeah, I feel very blessed, um, especially where I grew up, right? I mean, you can find beautiful nature in California, Oregon, Washington, the Rockies, or even the East Coast and the Blue Mountains, but um, or the Great Lake areas. Um, but I feel like I was blessed by being a part of the United States. Um, you know, uh, I've been given a passport that is extremely powerful. I've been given an opportunity to teach abroad, whereas maybe if I was born in Puerto Rico and raised in Puerto Rico, I wouldn't be able to teach abroad because I, English would not have been my first language. And same with Italy, right? I wouldn't have been a native English speaker, which opened a lot of doors for me. Um, but I think one more benefit I just want to talk about is the humanity that comes along with all the, the traumas, the conflicts, the 
uh, confusion about identity ultimately brings us back to one thing that we all have a, a, a bit of suffering in our lives, that we all have goodness. All cultures have something great to offer. Um, but I think that it humbled me more than anything. Um, you know, you almost cannot have a racist or pre like overly bigoted or prejudiced hair on your body when you do come from such a diverse background, right? It makes it, it it's it's uh, self-conflicting to, to, to judge others. Like that doesn't make sense because I felt like I was judged. So wait, wait, no, this ain't good. So I feel like it made me a better person, more accepting to all people on the planet. Doesn't matter their race, their culture, their religion. You know, I, I, I feel like even though at times I can take a cynical stance and say, I hate humans. <laughs> That's the cynical stance. Don't worry. I got him in check. He's in the cellar right now. Um, locked up for good. No, uh, but ultimately I have a big heart for the human race and, and, and all animals in life and life in general. I, I have sympathy for their struggles and their pains. And I really, you know, uh, have this strong urge to help people feel better and accept who they are and to do make strong what they can and to learn from what you know the things that they're not good at uh, so i think that would be the number one thing for me is uh, an open mind i guess or um, a, le a level of acceptance for people that are radically different than myself you know i just how can i judge them i was i didn't even know who i was so you know stuff like this <laughs> I think um, I went a little bit longer than I wanted to, but did, I, I want to ask you real quick, when was your light bulb moment? When did you think you actually figured out who you were or what your mission was? This is kind of like a, a, a backtrack. Yeah, I, I think for me, it was just lots of deep reflection about, you know, who, you know, what kind of person do I want to be first? It's like, do I want to be someone that is self-interested or how, you know, how do I want to contribute to society? I had to really sit down and think about, you know, how to build an identity. And it was, it was kind of tough, but it was kind of at the same time, you know, empowering. And then it sort of after that, it just, it became like, uh, for me, I was about, oh, I was about 25 and I'd, I'd kind of worked in real estate for a while. And it's just like, oh, this stuff is kind of soul destroying. And it's like, who am I really? Who am I really? I'm waking up and doing this job that just feels like shit. Um, and I kind of just reflecting and reflecting. It's like, well, you know what? No, I don't want to be this person anymore. I don't want to work in finance and economics and be a, you know, a valuation or a, and just feeling like a, like a, like a, a tick, you know, like really just a, uh, a blood sucking leech, you know, and, and not giving anything back. It just, it really felt very unfulfilling. So yeah. Um, yeah, probably from about 25, I started to make that decision. And then I, I just kept making those choices that were congruent. It's okay. What would that look like? I mean, how would that, how would that be? And what would I have to do? And, and then as I kept making those decisions, I, like my life was, I was able to sort of like keep building things that, that worked around that. So I got to the point where I'm now, which was, all right, I'm going to decide that 
my my purpose is going to be an international English teacher and I work around the world. I want to learn languages. I want to connect. I want to inspire my students. I want to have meaningful relationships with people that I meet, um, maybe even develop a family, you know, and it's just, it's, it's just all kind of being based around that, those decisions of who do I actually want to be, which is, which do you is, feel that you're still searching to some extent or in any way, shape or form? Are you still on the journey of self-discovery? I think it's more now it's a discovery of, of, of self-experience. So I feel like the foundations are there who, who I am. And then I don't want those to change. Like I want to be a good person. I don't want to be a bad person. Like the other day, my wife, um, she's not very fond of the neighbor. And it was like 10,000 pesos that was like put on the floor of the door, you know, like landed, it was on the floor, it was on the doormat of the door. Now, you know, right beside our apartment. So there's our apartment on the left and their apartment on the right. And, and and I saw it there and I, you know, I knocked on the door, I rang the doorbell and then didn't answer. I was like, whatever, no one's going to take that money. And I went, went into my uh, house, like, and then later on, I saw 10,000 pesos on the, on the, uh, the dining room table. And it just looked like that same, you know, that same note that I saw on the floor. And I said to my wife, I'm like, did you pick that up from next door? And she was like, yeah. She's like, you know, I don't like that neighbor. And I'm like, give me that. <laughs> and I grabbed it and I threw it on the floor. I said, Killary, it's not yours. It's not mine. I don't care if it's 10,000 pesos or a hundred dollars or, a, you know, a hundred thousand pesos. It's not yours. So give it back. Right. And I, I threw it back and she was like, she rolled her eyes. It's like, not really a big deal, but I was proud of that. Cause I was like, it's no, everyone in my family would think that I'm an idiot for doing that. Right? <laughs> you know, for example, like uh, I wasn't brought up like that. You know, I was brought up in the sense of like, you need to hustle and make money and you need to make money. However, the, however you can, man. And like, either life is short and it's cutthroat and it's less like, that's what I was told. So now it's more like, I, it's not like there's, there's this lack of certainty about what I, what I believe and who I am, but it's, now it's like, all right, how can I ex use what, who I am to experience more, right? How can I, you know, shine that light and do more of this and do more of that and, you know, touch more people and, and um, allow myself to have more experiences around that so, and not be limited by the choices that I've made. So that's kind of how I see it now in the sense of um, it's, 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 it's just, yeah, it's not restrictive. It's just what else can I experience? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I think is really interesting about you and I and this topic we've just chosen to discuss on, uh, you know, mixed cultural upbringings, um, their traumas, the benefits, the pros, the cons, but also look at both of us right now. Where are you? So I live in Bogota, Colombia, and I've been here for almost seven years. Yeah, and I'm here in Bangkok, Thailand, and I'm going on my fifth year pretty soon, fourth or fifth year. We both have families, but isn't it quite interesting that through all that struggle growing up, not knowing who we are, we just end up putting ourselves, inserting ourselves into a country to relive that discomfort and that <laughs> isolation, man, because, because it's so ironic that we are having this discussion and we're, we're like, yeah, yeah, man, Bob, you know, the pains, the struggles, the, the opportunities, uh, but neither of us are 
anywhere we were searching for when we were younger. <laughs> we were trying to figure out who we are. And then once we start figuring out who we are, we say, wait a minute, I'm going to a place where I'm not one of them. I'm going to make a life there. I'm going <laughs> to make this permanent. No, I'm just kidding. And it's, but it's it, true. It, it's, 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 that's very true. And it's, it's ironic for a number of reasons. And I think part of that is that you develop a strong identity and it's like, you can be feel comfortable being somewhere where you're not a part of that culture and still feel yes. at home. That's a part of it. Yeah. The irony that really kills my father is that my dad left, you know, a developing country to go to a wealthy country and build a life. And I've left that wealthy country to go to like an in inverted commas as a developing country and then be an immigrant and kind of suffer, you know, like to in inverted commas again, to use maybe his language and, uh, and create a life there, which makes absolutely no sense to him, <laughs> which is the exact opposite of what he wanted to create for us. But the reasoning is very different. You know, like I'm not really an economic you know, I would say we're not economic refugee, well, refugees or economic immigrants. We're immigrants because for me, like, and I honestly feel this is because, you know, not only do you want to experience the world through the vehicle of education and, and culture and, and language and new experiences, but you also want to give something back. So, you know, it's, it's, um, we're not here because we have to be here. You know, I'm, I'm in Colombia because I want to be here. And I like working with my Colombian kids and, and other kids of other nationalities that I work with. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of irony there too. Um, and I would say like even further, like that it was almost necessary uh, for, I'll speak for myself now and then you can tell me what you think, but it was almost necessary because like you said, you went for, from a developing to a economic powerhouse, so to speak, kind of like me, went to the United States, right? Like most people around the world would think we are crazy, including a lot of my friends think I'm crazy. A lot of my family members probably think I'm crazy because I've left this, all this place, this pile of sugar that they all marched in like ants for, right? And they found the, they found the land of milk and honey right and then here i am going to the land of rice and pork and uh there's not much here you know and there or that's what they think right but i think that's why i belong outside i i love my family i love the united states i love them all and i love spending time with them and i will always go back to see them but it's only here where i can silence those negative voices or those those biases that I would rather not hear because now they're contradictive towards my identity. My identity is one of worldliness, is one of growth, is one of uh, self-reflection. And I feel like when we are at home amongst our all of our family and all of our friends in our face, it is so much harder to be yourself. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I do know who I am today and I know my purpose and I know where I want to be. And that if I went home for the long term, I would be at conflict with my identity again, um, which, in, which I'm okay with, but I feel like we've, I've been freed up to, to continue to search for who I am or to refine the person that I am into the ultimate version of, um, who I am, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm not sure if you feel the same way. 
like yeah i i think being able to travel and live abroad is that you you just separate yourself from some of that unintentional negativity and also from some of that expectations about who you should be as a man and then you know you're sometimes parents and family they they have this idea of what you should be doing and they don't appreciate what you might value as a human being, which might be living in Thailand and you know, educating Thai students and, and, and um, you know, learning, learning another language and being immersed in another culture and, and all these other currencies. There's not just a currency of money. So, yeah, I think that separation definitely creates freedom. And it's the other thing too, is that if, if people were kind of, kind of, like even my own family in Australia, like they, they, a lot of them, you know, they don't really have a foot in two cultures. They're just, I'm Australian, you know, born in Australia and my, my brothers and sisters, for example, I think they don't even identify themselves as Maltese at all because it's just like, why would I go there? You know, it's not, sorry. I think it's some, in some cases that if you, if you're not careful, then you can kind of limit yourself um, to where you live and what you do. And um, you can be quite critical of other people if you if you think that you know it's best just to live in one place and do that one thing. And so uh, I don't know. I think um, travelers have or people that live abroad. It's it's it gives you a different. Uh, it gives you a much broader spectrum. And if you have different ethnicities or you know you've got a foot in different countries, it's it can be really powerful because you can appreciate both elements. Um, but. Yeah, you know, living abroad, I, I think, comes with great, um, great liberty in the sense of I'm me, I'm doing what I want to do, what I need to do, experiencing the world. I have, I'm trying to find purpose or I, I use what I think is my purpose and my plan. And, um, you know, hopefully I can, I, I can positively impact some people on the way. Yeah, absolutely. And for people that, you know, are str struggling, I do want to say, that to never give up, um, you know, self, uh, the search for yourself, the things you like, um, listen to the people that love you, tell you what they think they should do, but always ultimately reflect on how you feel you should be um, and what you should do. Um, uh, there's nothing wrong with not knowing exactly who you are from the get-go. Uh, so you hear from my story, it, it's taken me forever. I don't think I really, really knew my path until I was almost like 38 or something, 37 or 38. And so it's okay to be a late bloomer like myself. Uh, just continue to be true to yourself. And um, that's all you can do. And then enjoy both sides of the spectrum, your minor victories, but also that suffering that goes along the way. And maybe if you have, if you're dealing with traumas, just use those as your fuel. They will empower you once you know how to contain and control them and use them as energy for uh, your true, true um, self and story, life story. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, you know, without getting too philosophical, I think we all have stories that we tell ourselves to justify how we're living and, and the, the world that we create for ourselves and our own reality. But at the same time, I, I think you got, you have to, because we need to give and create meaning in this world. 
So I think, you know, I'm always aware that my reality is, is constructed based on my beliefs, my fund, fundamental beliefs and ideas. Um, but at the same time too, it's like you adopt beliefs because of who you are and, and your reality. And that's, I think that's, that's part of the process. Uh, but then it comes down to being true to yourself, right? About what you really want. And as you said, you know, ultimately the only person that you really should listen to respect, listen to other people, respect other people, but the only person you really should listen to is yourself in the sense of, you know, what do I, what decisions do I need to make to be true to myself? Right. And, and, and what, you know, what do I need to experience? What do I, what do I burn to experience? What do I desire to experience? You know, what desire, (laughs) you know, what drives me, you know, it's, it's, I feel like a lot of people don't get to ask that question. So what do I want to experience in life? And it's probably not what my dad wants me to experience, you know, because parents, uh, as uh, you know, we've spoken about a thousand times, you know, mean well, they want to protect their children, but they're not you, you know, they're not you, you know, and you, you, the greatest gift you can give your children is, is the freedom to make decisions uh, and live their life with unconditional love. Right. So, yeah, I think that's, that's probably the, maybe the theme of these, of, of this overall podcast is creating an identity at some, at some level is really just being true to yourself about really who you want to become as a person. Yeah. And that separation is sometimes required in order to build a place for reflection. Right. Um, the two, like, um, just really quick, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they there's this period of separation that is absolutely essential. It is fundamental and vital for the development of these identities. And it's going into the desert. And I think that what that is, it's it's this same story, man. It is this the story we're telling today is that well, at least that I'm saying is that I feel like by being outside, by separating myself from that culture, I am able to really reflect on who I am and to understand myself and my own identity. And it was it's that time I spent in the desert. So Old Testament, you got 40 years in the desert. They follow Moses out into the desert. They start to complain because it's uncomfortable. It's not, I mean, Egypt was great. Why did we even leave there? We were successful. We had everything we needed. Why did we leave there? Oh, oh yeah, you got to for God, right? So God becomes their identity. And then again, in the New Testament, Jesus does it before he well, gives his sermon, and then he also does it before, well, the end, the crucifixion, right? But but anyways, his 40 days is of reflection, and um, that's the only way he can, well, let's say that we can find out what we really want, what we really need, and that's our identity, right? And we can't find our own identity when all those sound bits are coming from every angle. You should do this. You should do that. That is terrible. Why are you doing that? That doesn't make sense. And if you're hearing all that, you can never really separate. So that's where the castration comes in, right? The castration isn't cutting your dickhead off. It's uh, cutting your flesh from that society, Egypt. It's separating yourself to the maximum as, 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 as thorough as a separation as possible. And really 
I think that that's the same story we're, we're kind of talking about today. I think that's a very strong insight without the personal introspection and reflection, you know, that comes from within, without the noise, the static noise from everywhere else, you know, hitting you, how can you, how can you really give that a voice? And how can you really trust yourself when you're being pulled and pushed and, and trying to be, you know, people are trying to manipulate you and convince you and, and pull you in the direction that really best serves them, not you. Yeah right yeah serves them and the herd and yeah yeah it's not really serving you because if someone really understood that i think they would say is that they would say the same thing is like listen to yourself but i think that's such a such a great point in the introspection and reflection of maybe that you know being a way to to reflect and make those decisions is probably very very it's necessary empowering um and very useful in in creating uh in 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 creating those decisions and, and allow you to really um, find your voice, be true to yourself and, and make sometimes really tough decisions that cause pain to others and, and separation, right? They're not always easy, clean cut, um, harmonious decisions. They can be quite hurtful. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and we too are the person, the individual too can feel, can experience suffering, right? So in the desert, there's no distraction. There's no entertainment. It's like two colors, right? You got like brown and blue and there's not a lot of food. There's definitely no entertainment. So it is a place of reflection. It's a place where no one really likes to go because it's not comfortable. It's not always safe, but to return to where the metaphor comes like to, to, to this discussion, um, it is, it was for me maybe necessary to really find myself, um, and uh, I will go back, of course, um, and visit, but I think I will always like to escape back to the silence. Even within this loud city, I experience so much time for reflection because, well, I'm not surrounded by all those people that want to change me, right? There's not a lot of people in this country that want to change me. Uh, they, 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 they see me as useful for who I am, and that's enough. They don't care. Whereas family and friends are lovely, but man, are they controlling. <laughs> i think that's a great way to end this podcast because i think that's a, a basically an axiomatic truth of that's that's it's it's that simple that you know they and they do it unfortunately it happens naturally through those bonds of love right and then through guilt and then through shame and then you know that's you know so <laughs> love um love holistically but you know, don't Love let your kills. <laughs> but don't let your parents tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's yeah. As I said, I think it's a great point. So it's it's probably a really good one to to end on. John, man, I really appreciate you being here and having that conversation, man. I I really enjoyed that. Thanks for your insights, bro. It was fantastic. Yeah, man. Thank you. And as always, a pleasure. And you know, it's a kind of a road of discovery as well working with you and having these discussions because they help clarify or make me question other things and you always bring good questions so yeah man love it as always um good time thank you for um meeting up with me and uh let's do it again yeah. soon absolutely till next time brother ciao